Let's pray together. Precious Father, you're all I want. I pray that when we sing those words that, God, you give us hearts that are authentic in that cry. You're all we need, Lord. Help us to see that and know that and live like that and pursue that with our whole heart, with our whole being, Lord. Give us undivided hearts that we might fear your name, Psalm 86, 11. Now, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us, Father, for our good and your glory. Father, I use that phrase often, and I don't want it to be trite. I really mean that, Lord, for your glory, for our good. Father, I pray that you take the text tonight and you plant it deep within our heart. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm again. I want you to turn to Psalm 32 tonight. Uh, last time we were together... We were at Psalm 51 looking at uh, elements of true confession of sin and was going to go here last week and then sometimes I forget we're, we have other things going on and I, I remembered our services were going to be at Colbert Heights and if you were able to be there Last week, then you were blessed. It was a powerful service on the the power of prayer and out of the book of Daniel. And so it was a wonderful time last week. But we're here where I thought I was going last week. We're here tonight in Psalm 32. And so I want to read um, the first seven verses of Psalm 32 and then I may read verse number 11 as well. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, everyone who is godly, offer prayer to you at 
at a time when you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Verse number 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. This particular text zeroes in on an issue that we all can relate to on some level personally. It, it addresses sin, more particularly sin in the life of a saint. Because this is David, and it's a, a man after God's own heart. And so it is, it is addressing this, this issue. Um, we know well the reality of Ecclesiastes 7 and verse number 20, where Solomon, the son of David, said, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. That is a, a reality. But when we come to Christ and we are made alive, we receive a new nature. The old is crucified. The old man is dead. But we still carry in this unglorified body this element of our flesh that must be put to death, must be dealt with intentionally. And we get so lackadaisical with it. And when we're lackadaisical with it, we can find ourselves going down a slippery slope into an abyss that we never dreamed we would find ourselves in. But it... it the saint, though sin is not the defining characteristic of their life, the battle against temptation and the battle against sin, it's very real. Psalm 32 this evening, the, it comes from the experience of David. A man after God's own heart, a man who was anointed king over Israel, a man from whom... From his lineage, lineage comes Christ our Savior. Comes from David. It's about David. Now some people try to link Psalm 32 with Psalm 51 and say that Psalm 32 is a companion to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 being the famous one. But I would suggest to you there is no historical evidence that links those two psalms. We just assume. But I would remind you that David often refers to his sins. On one occasion, I think it was Psalm 41, he talked about how his sins were more than the numbers of the hairs on his head. Be gracious to me, O Father. And so, I don't think that it is, it is meant for us to link Psalm 32 with Psalm 51 because... If we link Psalm 32 with Psalm 51, we would only focus on that particular sin. 
But the particular sin of David may not be the particular sin of you that perhaps you have dealt with or that you're dealing with even now. And we would have a tendency to say, well, that was David. This is not me. This is different. So we really don't know for sure what it is. Therefore, we wouldn't be tempted to necessarily do that. But here in Psalm 32, there are four areas that I want to draw to your attention in those verses that we read. I'll give you these four things and then I'll walk back through them. I don't always give a, my points beforehand. So when I give you these points, please do not get up and walk out thinking you've got all you need. All right? Stay seated. We're going to talk about it. All right. The first thing in verses 3 and 4, I want you to see the heartache of sin. The heartache of sin. Number 2 in verse 5. I want you to see the highway to healing. Number three, digressing back up to verses one and two, I want us to see the happiness of forgiveness. And then number four, verses six and seven, I want us to see the herald of a very happy man. Now, this particular psalm, as I said, it doesn't really matter what the sin was here. It doesn't really matter as far as we're concerned. The purpose of this particular psalm, the purpose behind it, is to present to us the blessed and happy state of a sinner forgiven. It's, it's to show us the... The completeness, it shows us the completeness of our sinfulness and the totality of God's forgiveness. And it lays out for us the pathway by which the sinner can be glad in the Lord, rejoice and shout for joy as verse number 11 describes. So let's think about this. And I would drop as the title over this... Um, Heartache, healing, and happiness. And let's, let's look at this in Psalm 32. First of all, zeroing in on verses 3 and 4, we see the heartache of sin. You realize that as a believer, you cannot sin and be happy. There will be heartache in your life. The way of the transgressor is hard, period, across the board. But for the believer, the way of the transgressor is exceptionally hard. It is exceptionally difficult. It will prick you to the core. You see, prior to David's acknowledgement and confession of whatever sin this is, David says... He says in the first part of verse 3, he says, When I was silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He says, I'm groaning. I'm groaning. That word that is used for groaning is a word that is often used of a wounded animal. And wounded animal, so we are when the believer self-mutilates himself through the folly of sin. 
and we are wounded and we are hurting because we were not designed for that. As I said, we were given a new nature. and We acted out of line with that new nature. Wounded, weak, and worn we have become. And this was the experience of David in his silence. In all of his self-talk, in all of the rationalization of his behavior, whatever that behavior was. This was his experience. He groaned like a wounded animal, hurt, self-inflicted misery. We not only see the pain of unconfessed sin, we see that the burden of guilt in his life aggravates the existing injury. David says in verse 4, the first part, he says, Day and night your hand, talking to the Lord, your hand was heavy upon me. Now he had the guilt of his sin, and not only the guilt of his sin, but the disciplining hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. What? Oh my. Have you ever felt that hand before? It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. But he is under the weight of this. He's under the weight of this. He says in verse 3, I know that my transgressions and my sin are ever before me. Because of this burden of guilt, because of his silence, because of this burden of guilt, it was all he could think about. It was consuming him. Everywhere he looked, he saw his sin. Everywhere, every, every song he heard, it reminded of him of his sin. Every conversation he got involved in, something would remind him of his sin. Everything he saw, everywhere he looked... It has a way, guilt has a way of creating this paranoia where you think that, well, everybody must know my sin. Well, he knows. Does she know? Who knows? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wanted to play a prank on four or five businessmen in England. And so he sent an anonymous letter. I read this some years ago. He sent an anonymous letter. All the letter said was, all is found out. Flee at once. Do you know that all five of those men left the country before daybreak? Yeah. So it is with us sometimes. And when you're in this spiritual and emotional battle within, guess what else it begins to affect? Under the silence of your keeping your sin, you, you think, hidden, begins to affect you even begin to affect you physically. David said 
His bones wasted away. His strength was dried up. I know that on one occasion that in my own life, the reality of my sin left me as if I were about to faint, literally. Literally. David says, his strength was dried up. But David did not remain in this heartache position. Because you see, all of the heartache, all of what he was dealing with was there, I will suggest to you, to push him to the place where he gets on what I am referring to as the highway to his healing. In verse number 5. You see, David could not remain silent about his sin forever. All of the heartache, all of the groaning, all of the heaviness of guilt. It was to break him of his silence and set him up for his healing and for God's great glory. Listen again to verse number 5. David said in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Wow. You see, David came to the place of humble confession, that confession like we talked about last week. It brought him to that particular place. You know what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, for example, in Proverbs number uh, 28 and verse 13, it says, whoever conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever uh, talks about confessing and forsaking their, their sins, they what? They find mercy. 1 John 1, 9, we know it very well says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You see, David had his prodigal child moment. He came to his senses and he turned and went back to his father. And he acknowledged the fullness of his sin. Notice the totality of his confession. In verse number 5, David, listen, he uses three different words to describe his sin. He says, I acknowledge my sin. He used, it's translated sin there. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my different word he uses here, iniquity. And he says, I will confess my Here's a different word, transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Three words to try and grasp the totality of sin. He uses the word pesha, which is rebellion. He uses the word kata, which means miss the mark. And he uses the word avon, which means to twist that which is good into something bad. 
He did not want to make light of his sin in any way whatsoever. He wanted to call his sin what his sin was before the Lord. This evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did. He did not fudge what that sin was. He called it what it was. And notice as he calls his sin what it is, notice the personal ownership of that sin. Notice what he says. I mean, he calls it my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions, the iniquity of my sin. He wasn't sitting back saying, well, you know, the reason why, you know, Lord, this happened, well, because of this and this and that. He didn't do that. He laid hold of it and he owned it. He owned it. Because it had owned him, he owned up to it and he owned it. He didn't blame, he didn't point fingers. And that is so our tendency. We're always trying to look for the circumstantial factors behind what happens. We can't, that's not our place to do that. No excuse. None. My sin, my iniquity, my transgression. And that's what David does. Sometimes we have trouble with that. I don't remember where I read this, but I read this somewhere years ago. There was a preacher preaching in a little church. There were two elderly women that were down front. The preacher got off on the sin of stealing and they were, Amen! preacher got off on the sin of not tithing to the church and they were amen the preacher got off on the sin of you name it lying write it down amen the preacher got off on the sin of gossip and one little lady looked at the other little lady and said to the other little lady, now he's gone from preaching to meddling. <laughs> they, they, they had trouble with their own problem. And so, there we, we find that. We have trouble sometimes with that personal ownership. But David did. David owned it. David owned it. Now, Digress back up to verses 1 and 2 and we see the happiness of forgiveness. The happiness of forgiveness. Listen, I'll read it to you again. Blessed. Blessed. This Hebrew blessed, it means happy. And I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you because we haven't got quite into it yet with the Beatitudes that start off blessed. The Greek, it's a little bit Different. It can mean happy, but it's a little deep. It's a little different too. We'll deal with that when we're in Matthew five on Sunday mornings. But blessed, blessed, 
Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Wow. David uses the same three Hebrew words that he used to describe the totality of his sin. The completeness of his sin. But now he couples that, those three words for the completeness of his sins with three other words to show the completeness of the forgiveness of God. That is beautiful. You see, he uses the term, he uses the term that's translated forgiven. When he says, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, he says that word means to be carried off. It's been carried off. And you want me to tell you where it was carried to? It was carried to the cross. It was carried to Golgotha. It was carried to the back of our sinless, spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ. That's where it was carried off to. But it was carried away. He uses the term covered. Literally, his sin had been hidden. And where is it hidden? It's hidden in the blood of our Christ. It's hidden in the blood of Jesus. It's hidden in the blood of Christ. Romans 5, 9, God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? He died. It's how He demonstrated that love. And we know that love, according to Paul, covers over a multitude of sins. Not one, two, and three. Strike, you're out but a multitude. He uses the word does not impute or counts. And that literally, that means the debt's canceled. The debt was canceled. You know why it was canceled? Why was it canceled? The cross, paid in full. You say, wait a minute, Jesus hadn't even been born yet. David's saying this in the Psalm. David is looking forward to coming Messiah. Forgiveness didn't suddenly change in how it comes. It just changed in how they looked for it. It just changed in how they looked for it. Wow. And who experiences, though, this, this forgiveness? Who experiences this? According to verse 2, he says, and this is important, he says, I'm going to read verse 2 for you. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity... In who and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, these are people that readily will admit their sin to God. They don't try to hide their sin from God. They admit it. I mean, 
The Bible tells us over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, you know where He tells us about confessing our sins? He says that if anyone says that he has no sin, then he lies a liar and the truth is not in him. And the truth is not in him. Hmm. Well, you've seen the heartache of sin. You've seen the highway to healing. And you've seen the happiness of forgiveness. Number four, look at the herald of a happy man. Verse 6. Listen to verse 6. Verse 6 says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Wow. What's this herald that's coming from this happy man? Well, verse 6 means you pray and you need to pray in a, to God in a time of finding. Meaning that when they pray, the time of finding is that when they pray is that it would be a time of mercy. Therefore, in verse 6, is the result of verse 5. When you pray like verse 5, it is the time for finding mercy with God. I like what Adam Clark in his commentary says about that phrase, for this shall everyone that is godly pray. I'm going to quote him. He says, because you are, talking. this is talking to God, because you are merciful, because you have shown mercy to all who have truly turned to you and believe in you, everyone who fears you and hears of this shall pray unto you in an acceptable time when you may be found in the time of finding, when the heart is softened and the conscience alarmed, that is the time of finding. God is ever ready. Men are not so. Who can pray with a hard heart and a dark mind while you feel relentings pray? When is the time of finding? When you are burdened by that sin. When you are bothered by that sin. When you are restless over that sin. That is the time of finding mercy with God. But when you grow hard hearted, but when you rationalize, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. So, you will find that when you pray like verse 5, that is when he confessed his sin, it will be a time of finding mercy with the Lord, verse 6. And then you will realize like David in verse 7 that He'll preserve you and keep you from trouble and surround you with shouts of deliverance. And the end result will be verse 11. <laughs> be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Oh, wait a minute. How, how is this... True. How, how can he say, 
for the righteous to rejoice and the upright heart to rejoice when this person is obviously has committed wicked sin. What is that? Well, that is the righteous only by Christ through the blood of Jesus. Wow. So, let me just close with giving you the basis of all of our happiness, of all of our healing, and all of our forgiveness. And that is, and I've already alluded to it, and I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. It is the vicarious sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is for us, and it was for David too. Um, Isaiah 53 captures it well. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that has brought us peace was upon Him, and by His stripes you are healed. The Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. He poured out His soul to death as was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Wow. Wow. And then Paul... I told you I was going to close with that verse, but I'm going to give you another one. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, tells us this in verses 3 through 7. He starts out, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to, to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Wow. Tonight, I would say to you, child of God, perhaps you need to preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself, remind yourself of what Christ has done for you and accomplished for you. And let that break you and bring you in, so that you can come before Him confidently in confession, broken over sin. And then I would say, even in this small Sunday night number, If there's anyone here that has no assurance that Christ is their Savior and their Lord, their atoning sacrifice, but you're sick of your sin, call on the name of the Lord. He's mighty to save. Repent, turn, trust in Him. 
He's mighty to save. He will not turn you away. And so whatever your need is, you respond to the Lord. I'm going to ask um, Gary to come and sing and Angie to go to the piano and you to stand to your feet. And you respond to what the voice of the Lord is saying to you this evening.